Hello and welcome to the Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Rupert McConnick, founder and EP at Seville Productions. I'm delighted today to have Andrew Swinnon, CEO, Publicist Group, Creative and Production US, as a guest. Welcome, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Excited to be here. So just jumping in, um, Andrew, uh, tell us about your background and career before Publicis. How did you come to your current role? You know, where are you from? Who are you? Who are you? What all that good stuff? Sure. So, I mean, uh, if, if, if I start from the beginning, uh, I had uh, I actually joined the Army when I was 17. Uh, good grades and no money. Uh, and, uh, you know, Army ended up paying for me to... Uh, go to Penn and Wharton. And, uh, you know, when I got out of the army, uh, no idea what I wanted to be when I grew up. So, uh, and this was all pre-internet. So I ended up going to the library and checking out a thing called the Red Book. Um, <laughs> where, yeah, if you remember the Red Book, but I had, uh, my mom was an artist and my dad, uh, you know, had worked in business. So I figured advertising and uh, I applied alphabetically uh, and got a job at BBDO. So, you. <laughs> you know, but uh, ended up uh, meeting uh, an incredible mentor there named Veda Hill, who introduced me to P&G. So I went to work at Procter & Gamble in brand management, uh, basically got involved in, in uh, I had won an award uh, for innovation that uh, got me involved in what was the their internet group in 98. So I moved to San Francisco and was doing an e-commerce startup for Procter. Um, in which case, uh, when the market crashed, Procter shut the whole thing down and I ended up joining Starcom MediaVest group, uh, the month it started. So I was global president of Starcom, uh, an incredible time. You know, it, uh, we were literally just rolling up media, um, but ended up growing the brand to about, uh, 110 offices, about 43 billion in media placement. Um, was traveling like 500,000 miles a year and grinding my teeth and never at home and uh, ended up leaving to start a venture incubator in Chicago. So I've done uh, 10 startups and sold seven, uh, you know, uh, first one to Dentsu, uh, but the last one to Publicis about seven years ago, which brought me back as CEO of Leo Burnett. Uh, been with the group about seven years and still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up. So uh, <laughs> as soon as I land on that, I'll call you. Good for you. So you've had many jobs, including the CEO of Publicist Group Creative, uh, CEO of Leo Burnett, and you're an entrepreneur. What, what, what does your day-to-day look like as a as you juggle multiple multiple roles? You, it's like the morning on Publicist Group and the afternoon on Leo Burnett, or how do you do no, it? No, no, no. It's much more of a soup. Uh, it's not cake, so uh, not nearly as sweet. So, um, you know, it's it's interesting. Uh, I get up early. Um, that's a carryover from the Army. Uh, but, you know, I, I try to split my time, uh, you know, about a third, a third, a third, uh, you know, a third basically uh, with people and talent. Um, and building organizational capacity and capability, um, a third with with clients, um, really trying to spend as much time with clients as possible, um, you know, and then another third, basically uh, reaching out to new clients, interview uh, and meeting people as well as, you know, uh, trying to create products 
um, and learn and and grow myself, uh, you know, to basically extend and grow the business long term. But, uh, you know, relatively long days, but uh, no two days ever the same. Um, You know, lastly, I do travel quite a bit. Um, I'm a big believer in showing up and meeting people. So um, one of the things I actually love about advertising is, uh, you know, uh, it was interesting. uh, I I once uh, had a job uh, in between school where uh, it was a job every day. It was a new uh, and you were wishing it was five. Um, whereas I find in advertising every day it's five and you're wishing it's noon, um, because you have so much more to do and you had a good day. So that's good. So you're the George Patton of, of, of advertising CEOs. <laughs> you lead from the front. You, <laughs> and you one could say, though I'm not slapping people with leather gloves. So. <laughs> you have a pair of jumpers. Didn't have jumpers? <laughs> yeah, that'd be kind of fun. Um, so, so how's your brand purpose, the definition and practice evolved over your career i mean in many ways the army is good for that because there's brand purpose right the army has a very specific brand purpose and then there's purpose you know which is things that the army does that are not necessarily defense but do for good right well i imagine that's the kind of thing well it's interesting to me you could you could come at that in many different ways i mean if i think about like my own personal purpose i i i was uh i had landed on this idea early in my career of, of to live in a circle of inspiration and I think that's really what led me to advertising and actually venture is um, I love creativity uh, and ideas and innovation. Uh, and and again, in terms of like uh, a purpose of living in a circle of inspiration, I love uh, the fact that an agency, our core product is, is you know, I always tell people, I, I friends come to me with problems and I get to surround myself with creative people who can solve it. Um so it's it's a ton of fun, and I feel like from a purpose based standpoint, um, you know, circle of inspiration. You're being inspired. You're learning new things. You're having impact. You know, I, I think you could also look at it more broadly at you know purpose or, or role that basically the organization that you lead or the organization you participates in their their broader purpose. Um, you know, and again, I I think purpose has been increasing in importance. Uh, and basically I, I also think, you know, if I look back on my 30 some odd year career, it's, it's, it's really evolved. And I think, I think become more important, basically more at the forefront. Wonderful. What inspired you to take on the culture of kindness approach? How does it factor into your day to day at publicist Leah Burnett? What is the culture of kindness? (laughs) (laughs) I think we need to start with where that came from. I think it's a belief that basically kindness, uh, and creating a kind culture inspires more creativity. Uh, and basically, I think creates an environment where it's the days are faster, there it's more fun, and uh it's a better organization to be a part of. You know, it's 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 interesting. When I uh left Starcom and started my venture incubator, I called it abundant ventures. Um, and kind of the idea of it is I had held this core belief just basically in abundance and karma. Whereas if you put good in the world, good will come back. Um, you know, an, an interesting story on that. We had started Abundant and we originally self-funded. And, uh, you know, it had gone relatively well. And uh, we had, you know, I've never been short on ideas, but we were looking for capital to basically expand and, and grow faster. And uh, we were talking to people and said, you know, so who are the smartest, kindest financial people in Chicago? Um, who could be a resource to us. And and people had shared the name of this individual who was uh, 
actually, you know, financial advisor to Obama, ran like a $60 billion fund. And they said, well, they'll never speak to you. You know, don't ask, don't get. I had sent him an email and said, uh, you know, hey, my friend Eric and I just started this uh, venture incubator called Abundant Ventures. We'd love to meet with you um, and talk to you about it. About 15 minutes later, I got a response back. I'd love to meet with you and have dinner. Um, walk into the dinner, individual stands up and says, Andrew, I just want to start by saying thank you. Says, you probably don't remember it. He said, five years ago, you got an email from a kid at University of Wisconsin saying, I'm interested in advertising. You not only took the phone call, you helped him with his resume, linked him up with an internship at Digitas. And then at the end of the summer, called him to see how it goes. He's like, that kid was my son. It's like, normally if I get an email saying Abundant Venture, I'd say, ah, bullshit. And I delete it. He's like, I know you, I follow you, and I know you stand for kindness, and I know the good you put in the world, and I'm here to help you. And he basically wrote us a very large seven-digit check to get us out of the gates. And for me, I think that is a manifestation of culture of kindness and karma. Um, you know, I and I apply that to advertising. You know, I think our business is is, you know, people, people, and people. And if you get those three things right, everything else falls in line. Um, you know, we have single digit turnover uh, across most of our agencies right now because people want to be there. Uh, you know, creatively, uh, you you want people to take big swings and big leaps. If people feel safe and people feel trust and people feel supported, they're going to bring their best selves to work and they're going to bring bigger ideas. You know, so for me, it's a, it's a holistic point of view that basically when people feel like they're in a kind, nurturing environment, when people feel appreciated and you practice gratitude, you're going to get the best creative in the world and it's going to result in better business results. I think it's a good point. I think when people are happy, they're more functional if they're fighting with one another. <laughs> That's putting all their energy and fighting with one another, right? Um, very simple. Very simple. So how does your time in the military contribute to your leadership styles? When you served, were you in action? Was there, I don't know what, what years you were in, so... I was in the army uh, eighty six to ninety four. Uh, so stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, you know, the I, I was a, uh, and I had, uh, you know, I had volunteered to go to airborne school, uh, ranger school. I was an infantry officer. Um, you know, it, it was interesting that I did not see combat. The war ended so quickly. Yeah. Um, but but it's interesting. I you know I tell people this all the time. Uh, you know, most of the things I learned at Penn and at Wharton, I've forgotten, but the things I, I learned in the military, I use every day. Um, and, and it's interesting. I think people think a lot about the army as this, uh, you know, very controlling, you know, people running around yelling environment. Um, and, and in, in my experience, it's somewhat the opposite. Um, it's interesting, uh, you know, uh, as, as an airborne, uh, officer, you know, basically you were parachuting in at night in the middle of nowhere, um, and your mission was be here at midnight. Um, how you got there, what you did, how you maneuvered through the woods, totally up to you. Um, very little oversight. And it was up to you as a leader to adapt and improvise and, and basically problem solve. You know, uh, another story I always tell, uh, you know, people always think about the Army as yelling. Um, one of the stories that, that, you know, 40 years later still resonates, there was a, a young officer um, who basically, you know, was just screaming at his platoon and a general officer, you know, a combat veteran, special forces comes over and locks the guy up and says in a very quiet tone, can you hear what I'm saying to you? And he's like, will you remember the words I speak? And he said, when you yell, you demonstrate a lack of control. 
and a failure of leadership. It inspires and instills people to not trust you. And he's like, do you remember what I just said? Did I have to yell it for you to hear it? He's like, son, don't ever make that mistake again. And for me, that embodies it. It's about building trust. It's about servant-based leadership. It doesn't mean you don't give or can't give direct feedback, but you don't need to be out of control and yelling. Um, You need to be serving the people who you serve and basically enabling them to be and perform at their highest level, you know, and that's how you win wars. So these sergeants running around yelling, what was the point? <laughs> well, we've all seen the movies, right? You, know, well, you, are, you have seen the movies. And again, you know, I think the basic training, it's a little, it's a little bit that's of a, a different, that's more like wake yeah, up. It's a little bit of a show. It's a little yeah. bit of a show. But I mean, if you yeah. think, you know, you look at special forces and things, people aren't yelling at each other. No. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, the special forces in the UK, like SAS and stuff, they're not like, you wouldn't know they were SAS. That's the whole point, right? <laughs> no. I always, uh, you know, the fire in the belly and fire in the head. You know, people in movies, it's always fire in the head. You look at the real special forces, it's fire in the belly. Uh, <laughs> all different breed. So that's true. I mean, it's a bit like stuntmen because um, the, the, everything about them is planning so something terrible doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of the and same thing. Calm, and remaining calm when it does. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So, I've, I've met a lot of stuntmen in my life and they're always they're pretty calm characters and they're very cautious about how they go about things and they really think about all the bad things that could go wrong and try and prevent those, you know. So I guess it's similar to the army. So maybe that's part of your leadership style is you probably <laughs> are looking I at... That. I aspire to that. I aspire not to... I aspire to stay focused, support the people who work for and with me and and again you know, step back. Uh, I once had a commander that uh, another young officer running around like a chicken with his head cut off. And he was like, did someone die? And he's like, then this isn't an emergency. You need to calm down. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, and again, I, I think uh, servant-based leadership and, and keeping calm and focus basically is going to lead to better outcomes. So. so great. So can you speak to Leah Burnett's humankind approach? Uh, and is there any brand you've worked with uh, or, or brands actually that, that that pair with the humankind approach, or has a similar process in their brand purpose. You know, I think I think for all of the Leo clients, we try to instill and utilize humankind as kind of an operating system on how we approach problems, and and really, you know, at its at its essence, the the point of humankind is this quote by Leo Burnett of "What helps people helps business." And I think that like the genesis of humankind is when we actually start with human problems, when we understand the role of the brand in helping people, it's when you create uh, the magic and insight and in advertising. So it's, it's, it's applicable across all of our clients, you know, and, and again, you know, if I, I dial back, you know, uh, Procter in the nineties, you know, it was a lot of product, product, product. Um, and, you know, let me tell you how great I am, as opposed to let me understand what problems you have and how best to solve them. You know, I, I'd, I'd heard Mark Pritchard speak and, you know, he was just reinforcing. I think Proctor's really evolved for on the positive to get better human insights and to basically solve human problems. You know, and, and again, I think uh, brands that basically discover uh, the job or the role they play in, in helping people in my in my experience are infinitely more successful so I, I i think if i look at leo burnett and humankind what we've done is try to create an, an approach to the work 
where we start with naming the human problem. Um, and then again, naming the unique role the brand can help in solving that problem. And again, I think it just provides a letter, uh, level of clarity and focus that makes the work that much better. Uh, and any specific clients apart from product Procter & Gamble? Um, tell us a little bit about some of the Leo Bennett co- clients who sort of focus on this particular area. You know, I, I mean, uh, you know, one of the the ones that immediately comes to mind is Aldi. You know, if you think about Aldi, it's and if you've ever been in one, it's it's a different way to a uh, different form of grocery. You know, four aisles, a lot less skews. But I mean, they're you know, we talk about Aldi. Uh, you know, it it's almost like a way of being. It's it's all about maximizing simplicity. Um, and again, it's interesting. Uh, there's a statistic, if I can get it correctly, but you know, people spend an average of 48 minutes in most grocery stores. They spend 17 minutes in Aldi because you get what you need and get out. Um, you know, for me, I think humankind was really dimensionalizing the Aldi way um, and the idea with Aldi on how people think differently. And again, um, you know, I don't think anyone enjoys or thinks about going to the grocery store as their primary top of mind thing in the day. Um, you know, you're going there to basically get food. I think Aldi basically makes it great food, simply delivered. Um, you know, and again, you know, we had talked a lot of, uh, about them from a humankind standpoint, um, about incorporating simplicity and efficiency into everything they do. And I, I think it really drives to their success. You know, I think on on the flip side, another really purpose-based brand, you know, we had worked with Change the Ref. Um, you know, if you're familiar, uh, you know, uh, Change the Ref was founded by uh, two parents whose son, Joaquin, uh, was killed to gun violence. And, you know, they're they're on a mission to basically raise awareness and change laws. You know, we had worked with them on the lost class um to basically uh dimensionalize and share you know in the u.s i I believe it's like 3200 kids in what would have been the high school graduating class uh of uh 2020 were basically killed uh by guns i mean just an overwhelming statistic um and the idea of the lost class was really to dimensionalize this we had held a uh actually a fake graduation um, and invited uh, the president of the NRA to come speak to the graduating class um, in a dress rehearsal uh, as a way to dimensionalize just the lost lives and lost potential. So again, I think, you know, uh, as a brand, uh, you know, Change the Ref is entirely purpose-based, um, but with a really, really clear mission in terms of, you know, building awareness, uh, you know, and building support in terms of hoping to change gun laws. That's interesting. So what advice would you give to other leaders in industry looking to incorporate a, a similar mindset of culture of kindness or humankind into their work styles? You know, how do you encourage people to sort of pay this forward, this, this uh, humankind approach? You know, I mean, one, I think it's, uh, I actually think a lot of it begins with, with self-care. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. You run into so many leaders who are just so exhausted and depleted. You know, I I, I encourage all of our leaders to to practice what I talk about as radical self care. But you know, the analogy I always use when I was in the army and ranger school, it's like put your own boots on first. And the reason if you if you don't have your own boots on, you can't really lead. Um, so how do we as leaders basically make sure that you know we have we have focus, we have energy, we're rested, and and we're in in good shape. So that you come into the room basically bringing energy and innovation 
um, versus just, you know, you've all been in that meeting where a person comes in and just drops the stress bomb. Um, right. You know, secondarily, I, I think it it's uh, intentionality. You know, I think, again, given the volume of work and the, and the pressures in advertising, it's very easy to get caught up in the in the day to day. Whereas I think kindness begins with clear intentionality. And, you know, as a leader, basically looking at where and how can I add value? Where and how can I inspire? Where and how can I knock down barriers? You know, how do I as a servant-based leader best support the people who serve with me um, so that they can do their job better? Um, you know, I think a third uh, thing is is basically this idea of, you know, uh, recognition and gratitude. You know, again, in the spirit of, of making those around us better, um, how do we recognize what the primary needs that need to be done, but then recognize, appreciate, and elevate the people who are doing the work so you have exponentially more feet, uh, more impact? You know, I would say lastly, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer of radical candor. You know, people always say, well, what about like firing someone? You talk about kindness. Have you ever fired someone? Um you know, believe it or not, I actually think firing someone can be a kind act, you know, and again, you could, you could, you know, call this self-rationalization, but, you know, uh, my feeling is when people are actually failing a job, they know it, they're miserable and they're unhappy. You know, I, I'm a core believer that everyone has a zone of genius, like things they do better than everyone else. And when someone's failing a job, they're not working in their zone of genius. And actually it's an incredibly kind thing for you to call that out and allow them to move on rather than just having them continue to grind it out, something they're not good at. You know, so I think, again, the last thing is, is in radical candor, you know, how do you give people fair, direct, um, but again, delivered in a kind way feedback that allow them to learn, move on, or whatever the situation may be. That makes sense. So what metrics and key performance indicators do you use to measure the success of humankind, culture of kindness, purpose-driven campaigns? I'm, you know, how do you, how do we do a KPI on kindness? Um, I think it's quite a good question. We use the <laughs> kindometer I've developed. You know. so I think on the person, on the people side, um, you know, it's twofold. I, I think, you know, one of the things I'm really intrigued by, uh, from a leadership perspective is this idea of family trees. Um, you know, it's interesting. I used to work for this woman, Renetta McCann, who was CEO of Starcom Media Best at the time. And Renetta was an exceptional leader and mentor. But at one point, uh, if you looked at the top 10 media agencies in the world, eight of them were led by people who were for Renetta. Um, so I, I think one metric of success is, you know, uh, as a leader, what kind of leaders are you creating and what impact are they having in the world? You know, it's one of my favorite interview questions of, you know, so give me an example of three people who worked for you and what they've done. Um, and it's fascinating how many people come into the interview talking about what great leaders they are, but yet can't name a single person they've led successfully. Um, whereas other people can speak to, you know, the 10 people who are now leading agencies um, who grew up under them. You know, secondly, I think uh, you can look at turnover. Um, you know, is this an organization people want to be part of? And if you look at great resignation, you know, you had agencies 40, 50% turnover, um, probably not kind places. Uh, you know, thirdly, D and I, um, I think kindness is an essential component to basically encouraging diverse perspectives and inviting people in. When you have a culture of kindness, people feel confident sharing different points of view. I think people feel more open and comfortable inviting 
um, diverse perspectives. And I think equity thrives. You know, I, I would say lastly, uh, I actually believe kindness can and is measured from a business imperative. You know, when you have happy people who are sharing good ideas with diverse background, you know, Leo Burnett Chicago, we've been pushing double digit growth for the last two, three years um, consistently. And I think it's because we have a kind culture where creativity can thrive. I mean, it's almost like a military strategy, hearts and minds, right? We're going to win over hearts and minds, right? I mean, that's kind of well said, you know, (laughs) I I need to take off my Christmas jumper and put the uniform back on. (laughs) But I think it's true. I mean, you know, I mean, there's all sorts of terrible things happening in the world. And and the people who are ahead of these things and actually not creating more insurgents or terrorists are probably the ones on the right path, you know. Yeah, it was it was interesting. I was at a, a PNG alumni reunion over the weekend, um, you know, and uh, A.G. Laffley was speaking and basically uh, he and David Taylor were having kind of a back and forth. And it was interesting. We we're talking about leadership and their two big things was leaders need to listen more. And leaders need to listen more to find a third way. And again, it's basically culture of kindness said a different way. Um, it wasn't like leaders need to be more aggressively pushing their opinion. It was right now we as a, as a world, as a nation, um, you know, are, have never been more divisive. Yeah. And basically listening and trying to find a third way is going to be what makes things better. So, Andrew, it's been wonderful having you on as a guest. You've won my heart and mind. And it's it's been very educational and actually kind of interesting to think of the military and, and advertising and how they you know how they compare. I think that's a good that's a good source of inspiration. So thank you very much. Thank you so much. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Seville Productions Purpose Podcast. Learn more about Seville Productions and our work in the purpose and sponsored entertainment space at www.sevilleproductions.com.